Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hello. Hello, oh, Lindsay. Just kidding. I'm Lindsay. <laughs> uh, some quick announcements and then a lot of paranormal horror. Uh, I'll start off with a quick merch announcement. New merch, of course, in the Bad Magic Store this week. Uh, imagine yourself living on a quiet street in a foggy mountain town. Mm-hmm. The sun is set. The remaining daylight fades as nighttime rolls in like a chilled, misty blue blanket. All is calm until suddenly, boom, the entire house begins to shake. Thunderous rhythmic pulses drum with unmistakable power. Panicked, you dash out to the street to investigate the disruption. Turning back on the house, you see the mountainside overtaken by the largest creature anyone could possibly imagine. Standing taller than a skyscraper, eclipsing the hazy backdrop of what was, until now, a peaceful neighborhood. In an instant, you realize this is it. You're done for. Oh. Catch the brand new Monster in the Mist tea. Wow, that was quite the description, bro. Available now at badmagicmerch.com. And I'm not going to take credit for that one. Logan, write that? Yeah. Good job, Logan. I thought that was really good. Thank you. It actually, you brought it to life more than I uh, thought in my head. Okay, good. Okay, good. That was fun. Well, look at you guys being a cute little team. (laughs) <laughs> um, and then we have our uh, monthly Patreon donation, and then we're off and running. This month, I'm donating to myself. Oh. I need shoes. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. This month's charity donation is going to Camp Easton, where we are headed to summer camp in just a few weeks. So yeah. excited. Tickets are no longer on sale, so if you missed out, the FOMO is about to be so real. It's going to be amazing. But in my visits out to Camp Easton... Yeah. It's just like so apparent that the camp is in need of a handful of things. Like there's like some plumbing needs and some, you know, modern modernization needs. Yeah. So we will be making it a donation there amount to be determined because we are, well, it's still very early in July when we're recording this. So yeah. we just don't have that amount. But you guys are used to that yep. now. Yep. And uh, yeah, we're just excited to be able to help this uh, local camp. And and thank everyone for the, uh, the books. The books, even though this is way early as far as recording, the signed copies sold out, the bundles sold out. Uh, there are still copies unsigned of volumes one, two, and three. And just, it's such a fun recurring project. So thank you. Well, by this date, I don't think that you can buy them. I don't think that you can pre-order uh, them anymore. You should you should check with people before you say stuff. <laughs> uh, you can check the store because I don't have the dates in front of me and we didn't discuss this before the uh, show, which yeah. is totally okay. Accidents oh, yeah. happen. But just so you know, if you did pre-order, your books will make it to you before Halloween. Uh, the ordering is closed now and will reopen once we have the books and the pre-orders have shipped okay, okay. As, as we have done in years past. So don't worry, you can still get some books, just not right the second. That was a good example of why I, I shouldn't just go rogue. We, we prep and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to throw a little curveball in here. Watch me go. Uh, how many stories do you uh, have today, Lulu? Two. You have two? Can you believe it? I can. What are, what are they about? Uh, my first story is about a deal with the devil himself, okay. which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, did a young man make a deal with the devil and then regret his choice? 
classic horror lore. I, I do like those stories. Yeah, it's good. And then my the crossroads. And then my second story, I'm going to tell you what the author named it: College Campus with a Ouija board, Native American burial grounds, and ghost soldiers triple threat. Okay, a lot of stuff going on over boom, there. Boom, 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 boom. I, ha- I have a, a very big story. Sorry, I have two. The first, very strange urban legend that someone uh, posted a, a modern encounter story about that they think it's all too real. It's the strange, twisted legend of Kansas's Hamburger Man. A perhaps real uh, uh, version of like a great pulp horror flick kind of character, like a slasher flick character. Is this because I talked about juicy stories being hamburgers? No, but when that came out, I was like, oh, that's funny. Like a fun tie-in. Yeah. But no, this is um, this is one I, oh, I have to thanks at the end, but I am I believe this was a Sophie one. Now I'm going to skip ahead. Yes, it's Sophie Evans. Uh, for the second story, we explore the rich paranormal ho- uh, history of Cornwall, England's Bodmin Moor. Focusing mainly on the old Bodmin Jail, located at the edge of this large, preserved, mostly underdeveloped or undeveloped land expanse of land, or large expanse of land. A lot of different claims of ghosts uh, and reports of at least one beast that supposedly haunts the area. Okay. I feel like, didn't we just... Oh, we were in Cornwall, Connecticut. Yeah, I know, I know. There was, I was there like, was, wait there, a Yep, there second? was a reason Cornwall in the, in the uh, July in, bonus episode. In the, yeah, the bonus episode. Mm-hmm. Dudley Town. Dudley. Are you prepared to meet the Hamburger Man? I'm so hungry. Yes. <laughs> we'll, get hamb- we'll get hamburgers after the show. Okay. You might not want them after this, actually. Uh, once you reveal uh, that growing collection of oh so many socks. No, I did. If you'll notice, if you're a bonus episode watcher, that I'm wearing exactly what I was wearing 10 minutes ago when we finished the bonus episode. But this is my pink outfit, and I'm very into it. You wanted everyone to see it on both feeds. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't want anyone to feel left out. <laughs> okay, so we're going to jump into uh, this, you know... Crazy story of the lore and then a modern encounter tale of the Hamburger Man. Okay. Okay. Uh, to those not from the 40,000 person town of Hutchinson in central Kansas, the Hamburger Man might sound like something more silly than scary. Maybe a discount version of the Hamburglar from McDonald's. Uh, but if he really exists, the Hamburger Man is anything but silly. Kansas is actually full of paranormal lore. This hideous monster, but uh, one of you know many entities adding to an abundance of allegedly supernatural activity in the area. Just 45 minutes east from where this creature has been said to make its home lies Wichita State University, where Wilner, Fisk, and Henry and Halls are all rumored to be haunted. Multiple campus police officers are wary of entering any of these three halls at night due to, quote, flickering lights, doors closing on their own, unnerving noises, and an overall feeling that something terrible is about to happen. A little further away to the west this time in Clark County is a sinkhole named St. Jacob's Well. It resides in the Big Basin Prairie Reserve, about a half-hour drive from Dodge City, and the sinkhole formed by centuries of erosion, believed by some to be virtually bottomless. According to rumors, dozens of visitors have lowered lengths of rope into the well to try to find the bottom to no avail, and those unfortunate few who strayed too close and fell into the hole have never been found. Rumors of what may lie deep down in this pit range from hell itself, to some subterranean world full of God knows what kind of monsters, to a portal to some other dimension. A little bit further away at the eastern edge of the state is the Fort Leavenworth National Cemetery, allegedly the most haunted army base in the United States, reportedly patrolled by the souls of diseased victims, sufferers of clashes between soldiers, settlers, and local tribes, lost travelers, and other forgotten souls. For some, all of these tales have nothing when it comes to bone-chilling scares on the Hamburger Man. Oh, boy. According to the legends, the Hamburger Man dwells in some sand hills just north of Hutchinson, Sources differ on exactly what he is. Some say he's a monster. Uh, Some say he's a ghost. Some say he's some kind of demonic abomination that defies any known classification. 
Everyone seems to say that he attacks his victims with a hook and takes their bodies to his hidden shack in Sand Hill State Park, where he grinds their corpses into hamburger meat and devours them. Some speculate that he was once a real man. Eugene McErntiff of Hutchinson, who owned and ran a hamburger cart near the corner of First and Main for several decades, roughly a century ago. A little is definitively known about Eugene, except for that, in addition to his hamburger stand, he ran a photography business with his brother, once took a vacation to Flint, Michigan. It was actually reported in the local paper back when local news was a lot less negative than it tends to be today, and not much else. The skeptical say that local kids, perhaps afraid of Eugene, due to maybe him happening to just look scary or perhaps having an ill temper, spun a story to turn Hamburger Gene into Hamburger Man. Others wonder if there's a much darker connection. Is the Hamburger Man the ghost of Gene? Did Gene transform somehow into what the Hamburger Man supposedly is now? Or did Gene perhaps have another sibling or a son involved in his hamburger business, maybe a relative that, for some reason or another, couldn't be seen in public? Someone who, maybe through a horrific accident, uh, became a bullied and mocked figure known as the Hamburger Man, a figure who later decided to take his revenge and become a monster. No one obviously really knows for sure what the Hamburger Man is. But some have certainly claimed to have encountered whatever he is up close. Like the woman in the following modern encounter tale. Time now for the tale of the Hamburger Man. 45-year-old Suzanne thought that the bright May morning would be her chance for the beginning of a new start. After growing up in Hutchinson, she'd left as a young adult, first to SMU for college, then to Houston where she worked a corporate job and met her husband, a doctor. She'd never really thought about returning. Life in a small town just wasn't for her. Growing up, she'd hated how judgmental people could be. Not everyone, but if she didn't go to church one weekend and instead decided to go fishing with friends or to hang out in the park, she would be certain that one of the old ladies who lived on her street would tell her mom. Just like they tell her mom if she wore a skirt they felt was a little too short, or if they heard from someone that she'd been smoking a cigarette behind the gym. It was an everyone-knows-everyone's-business kind of town, for better or for worse. And when Suzanne had been a teen, mostly for worse. She craved living in a big city, full of so much more anonymity and opportunity for as long as she could remember. But recently, the grass of city living didn't seem greener, and it had started to wear on her. At least that's what she thought was happening. Instead of feeling excited when she walked down the street, energized by all the different sights and sounds and people around her, she'd started feeling afraid. The hustle and bustle, the noise and smells and constant stimulation of the city, it was all starting to feel like a bit too much. And, well, there was something else. Recently, she started to feel like she was being watched. Like sometimes when she walked around the city, she felt something waiting for her to turn around. Something she could see flickers of movement coming from. Always just in the corner of her vision. Never enough to really see it. She'd also been constantly feeling like she was forgetting something. Something important that she should remember. Something that had been tugging on her mind like a word lingering on the tip of her tongue or a task you'd walked into another room to do, but then couldn't recall what it was when you got there past few weeks, she wondered if everything she was feeling was a result of all the stress she'd been under thanks to her husband, her soon-to-be ex-husband. After getting married, having two children, her husband abruptly told her that he wanted a divorce. His announcement seemed to come out of nowhere, or at least out of nowhere to her. He suddenly was telling her he wanted to travel the world and meet new people and date some of those people. He'd always seemed so traditional, but now their conventional life just wasn't for him anymore. Suzanne, understandably, was crushed. But she'd known, or at least suspected for a while, that he hadn't been fully committed to their relationship. And even though she hadn't been thinking, at least not consciously, about wanting to see other people, she also hadn't been super committed to their relationship. She'd watched them start to drift apart, and hadn't really done anything to try and stop it. 
She hadn't nurtured their marriage like she had in the beginning. And she hadn't really been taking care of herself either. She'd been operating on autopilot. She'd fallen into a routine a long time ago and had just mindlessly stayed there. She'd lost sight of herself. And now she no longer really recognized the person in the mirror. Did she wear her hair that way because she liked it or because she'd just been doing it that way for years? Did she like her clothes or was it just easy to wear what she'd been wearing and that she'd lost interest in trying anything new? She didn't know. What was she going to do with the rest of her life? What did she want? Did she want her husband not to leave her? She didn't even know that. So she decided to do some soul searching to try and reconnect with herself. And it seemed like a good place to do that was where she was born and raised. Maybe if she couldn't answer any deep existential questions, she could at least, uh, you know, lose the strange anxiety she'd been feeling for months now. Maybe, she thought, as she drove across the Kansas state line with her black lab Hubble in the passenger seat, she felt anxious all the time like someone was watching her because she had been so watched as a teen. Maybe she'd always carried around that burden and returning home, showing the people she'd grown up with that she didn't care what they knew or thought they knew about her anymore, not worrying about getting caught for something. Maybe that would help her get rid of the rut she'd been in. Her husband had the kids for two weeks for vacation, so she'd set off that morning for Hutchinson, where her mom and her sister still lived. In the rearview mirror, she caught a glimpse of her makeupless face and grinned. It had been so long since she hadn't worn any makeup. And looking at her own face, yes, the crow's nest around her eyes, but also her easy, contented smile and flushed cheeks that shone with pleasure, made her grin. Using her car's controls, she dialed up her sister's number and waited for Marie to pick up. I'm a couple of miles outside of town, she said once the line connected. Want me to pick anything up from the grocery store? There were some chaotic, sound, chaotic sounds in the background, maybe instruments from the sound of it. Hang on, Marie said, raising her voice. What day is it? M Monday. I said I was coming today, right? Oh, shit. This Monday, Marie said. I'm so sorry. I, I got confused. Henry has this band thing. Uh, we're in Kansas City for the day. Fuck. Uh, I'm sorry, Suze. Suzanne was in too good of a mood to let this spoil it. it. It's okay, Marie. She said, trying to be soothing, given that Marie had three kids who always needed something, and her husband, Keith, worked on the West Coast half the time. There's a can to the mat, right? I'm a big girl. I can amuse myself for one afternoon. No biggie. Yeah, okay, th that would be great, Marie said. I'm really sorry. I can't believe I got my days mixed up. Uh, there's a casserole. Suzanne nodded to herself and glanced at the road. Oh, shit! Suzanne grabbed the steering wheel and yanked the car to one side, heart throbbing as the car sped around her while veering dangerously far into her lane. What? What's going on? Nothing, Suzanne said, breathing hard. Some asshole just about drove me off the road. Oh, what a dickhead. As her sister spoke, Suzanne squinted ahead of the vehicle that had just so recklessly passed her. It was an old blue van. Most of the bottom rusted out. With some kind of lettering on the side. She caught a faded script that said, Yummy, yummy. Some kind of food truck, probably. She frowned as she tried to get a closer look at who was driving it, but she couldn't see more than just a shadowy outline in the driver's side rearview mirror. In her passenger seat, Hubble whined. It bothered her more than she felt it should have not to be able to see this driver. She'd expected to see some guy with bad tattoos, maybe a picture of a naked lady painted on the back of the van, or teenagers, or someone giving her the finger. But she couldn't see who it was at all. It was sunny out. Why wasn't his face visible? You okay, Suze? Marie's voice came over the phone. Uh, yeah, yeah, Suzanne said as she rounded the corner of the interstate. Uh, just a little rattled. Be safe, Marie said. Suzanne barely heard her. She couldn't believe what she was seeing now or not seen. There was no one on the road ahead of her. It was impossible. She could see ahead for what felt like five miles. They hadn't passed any side roads where the van could suddenly hide either. So where the fuck had that van gone? Had she hallucinated at all? Shaken, she told her sister she'd be at her house in just a few minutes and ended the call. Once she got to the house, she unlocked the door. The key was in its not-so-hidden place, like always. And she put her suitcase in the guest bedroom while Hubble sniffed around. 
For some reason, it now felt like her trip home had been kind of tainted. Why did she think going home was going to be a good idea again? Her life was in shambles. How was being around people she hadn't seen in years in town uh, that she'd love to leave behind going to help? Stop spiraling, she told herself. Just hang on. Just breathe. Stop being negative. Stop deciding that things aren't going to work out before you even try them. Hubble pawed at the door and Suzanne laughed. I know, she said. We should get out of here. Maybe go on a hike. What do you think? Hubble wagged his tail and Suzanne grinned. Let's go, she said. She grabbed his leash and headed out the door. The possibility of a hike was sounding more and more appealing. Maybe she'd head out to the sand hills. She'd always liked how they looked, desolate and winding, an isolated, lonely, quiet landscape where you really let your you know, thoughts spin out and clear your head. She'd heard some weird stories about them growing up, but now she was struggling to remember what they were. Some kids in high school used to talk about them a lot. Maybe people getting killed out in the sand hills by some madman or something, making up stupid stories just trying to fuck with other kids. That was the type of thing a lot of people do in a small town where there's nothing to do. Make up stories to make life more exciting. Hello, Suzanne. Suzanne's heart about leapt out of her chest, but then she saw it was only Mrs. Carson, her sister's elderly next-door neighbor who regularly complained about how loudly Henry practiced the trombone. Suzanne couldn't remember a time when Mrs. Carson didn't look ancient, but she had to be over 90 now, with deep wrinkles and bright blue eyes that peered out like she was looking from a cave. Hi, Mrs. Carson, she said, waving. Uh, This is Hubble, she added, gesturing to Hubble, who was busy sniffing Mrs. Carson's grass. You came back. Mrs. Carlson smiled, or Carlson Carson smiled as though Suzanne hadn't said anything. Just once in all these years. Thought it was time to be home, Suzanne said stiffly, feeling awkward. Was Mrs. Carson maybe suffering from dementia or something? She had visited Hutchinson more than once since she'd left, hadn't she? She suddenly couldn't remember. Just came back to visit my sister. You said you'd never come back, Mrs. Carson said again, like she hadn't heard Suzanne. Not after. Suzanne wanted to ask, after what? But she really didn't want to keep talking to Mrs. Carson, who uh, she was more and more certain was suffering from some kind of illness. Yeah, well, I said a lot of things when I was a teenager, she said. Turns out sometimes teens just like being dramatic. I should know. I have two of my own now. She hoped that would steer Mrs. Carson to another topic of conversation, but Mrs. Carson shook her head. He got you one time, she said, her mouth wet with spit. He'll get you again. What? Suzanne blinked. Even though it was a sunny day out, she suddenly felt cold. Who got her? Her mind returned to the car, almost running her off the road. Did Mrs. Carson know something about that? Or was she just crazy? Bang! Mrs. Carlson's screen door slammed and a young woman in scrubs came out with a tray. It looked like Mrs. Carson's lunch. Mrs. Carson, what are you on going on? Mrs. Carson, what are you going on about now? She smiled up at Suzanne, pushing aside her bangs. I'm Rita. I sit with Mrs. Carson these days. Oh, Suzanne said. She felt like she was supposed to say something, something to the effect of, that's nice. Or I'm glad she has someone to look after her. But her heart was pounding, and she just wanted to get the hell away from Mrs. Hutchinson. And quickly. So she blurted, gotta go. Took off for her car, Hubble bounding alongside her. Strange lady, she heard Rita say to Mrs. Carson, and Suzanne wanted to slam her head on the steering wheel. How was she the one who was strange? Mrs. Carson could go go on and on about insane shit, but when she cut a conversation short, she was the weird one? She looked at the clock on the dash. 419. In about four hours, Marie would be home, and they could drink wine, hang out, and complain everything would feel better. In the meantime, she could burn off some of her nervous energy with that hike. So she put a key in the ignition, followed familiar roads to the sandhills, trying to focus on positive things, like the happy look on Hubble's face as she stuck his head out the window, or as he stuck his head out the window, or the bracelet her oldest daughter had made her for her last birthday, and not on the blue van that was following behind her. Wait, what? She looked back. Same blue van, behind her again. She was just a minute or so away from the sand hills now, and it looked like the driver of that van might be heading there with her. 
Who the hell was he? Or she? She still couldn't make out the driver's details, just a shadowy form behind the wheel. Tinted windows, she said to herself. The driver must have tinted windows. But then why could she see the rest of the interior just fine? She got the chills. The van kept a steady distance between her and now Suzanne started to nervously sweat. What did she do? Call the police? Call Marie? And say what? Say she didn't like the way someone in a van was making her feel? She actually laughed a bit out loud at that thought. She had no proof the driver was trying to do anything to her. They'd been a bit reckless earlier, but not illegally. No, there was no point in calling anyone. Should she turn around? Go back to her sister's house? There was a pit in the bottom of her stomach now. In seconds, she'd be at the entrance to the park with no one around for miles. Just the vast land and her and whoever was in that damn van. No, whatever was in that van, a voice in her head corrected. Not whoever. She shivered. Why did that thought float into her head? She had a bad feeling in her gut about the driver. Really bad. And her gut feelings were rarely wrong. She brought her eyes down to the car's console to dial Marie's number. It went to voicemail. Hey, Marie, just wanted to let you know that there's this weird blue van that's... She raised her eyes and tried to look for some identifying information. And the road was empty. That's nowhere, she finished, her heart pounding again. Never... Never mind. I... I'm fine. I know I sound like a crazy person. Just too much stress. Too many hours in the car today. We can laugh about it tonight. I'm going to go for a hike and... And then the call dropped. Suzanne hadn't even known that calls could drop when you're already leaving a voicemail. But she wasn't really much paying attention to that thought now. Her eyes were locked on that rearview mirror, waiting for the car to show up again. She almost wanted it to show up, just to know that it was real. Almost. The thought of seeing that van appear out of nowhere made her blood run cold. In the seat beside her, Hubble tucked his ears back. He'd never so much as growled at anything before. Even the scariest-looking stranger had him jumping up and wagging his tail. But now he looked as apprehensive as Suzanne felt. She looked for a place around to turn around and drive back to Marie's house. But what if the van reappeared when she slowed down to turn? What if it tried to run her off the road again and was successful this time? Then she'd be stuck on the highway. At least maybe the sand hills would have some other hikers. Full of trepidation, she pulled into the parking lot. Shit. There were no other cars. At least the van wasn't there. But also, if the van showed up, no one was coming to help. Was the van even real? I mean, real things can't just disappear like that. Okay, Hubble, she said unsteadily. She got out of the car and started walking towards the head of the main trail, Hubble trotting beside her. No van. No sound of any vehicle. Maybe whatever that was was all over now. She passed a few yards into the trail and glanced up and tried to enjoy the feeling of the sun on her bare arms for a few moments before she noticed that Hubble was now nowhere to be found. Hubble! Hubble! She heard his collar jingle somewhere off the path and ran towards the sound. Come on, Hubble, she called, hoping he'd only left her side because he found some smelly poop or a dead animal. But even then, he usually replied to her commands. Instead, when she saw him, his nose was pressed down against the sandy ground, sniffing intently. Blood. On the ground was a trail of blood drops. One, two, three, four, five, six. A steady patter leading away from the trail. Hubble, come on, she yelled hoping there was just an animal who'd gotten hurt, but he couldn't move. She grabbed his collar. Come on! She was pulling so hard that she didn't notice the feeling of someone coming up behind her. And then, everything went dark. When she opened up her eyes, she didn't know where she was. The room was dark. Was she back home? Had she blacked out? Had she hallucinated going out in the first place? Then her eyes began to focus. Distantly, she heard the sound of what someone she somehow knew was a van door slamming shut. How was this possible? She looked around. There was no van, just a strange room filled with some kind of machinery. It all looked ancient, like no one had been here for years except 
except for some things that were obviously new, like a brand new hiker's backpack and a rolled up sleeping mat with a tag still on. Her stomach clenched. Then something in her peripheral vision moved. She snapped her head around. Something was wearing a blood-stained apron. Something that looked almost like a person, but not quite. Something thin and emaciated. Something with too many eyes. They were green, they were blue, they were red, they were black. There were seven eyes in total, or at least she thought there were seven. She couldn't tell if her eyes were playing tricks on her. She felt sick, like she was going to throw up, or pass out, or both. She tried to focus her gaze, and then she saw maggots crawling out of the thing's ears, which were pointed, the skin translucent and patchy, some parts covered with fur, some not, the eyes all open like it didn't have eyelids. There was a hole where it looked like another eye should be, but just an eye socket lay there. The thing stretched out his hand, fingers gnarled and translucent, so she could see the bones and tendons, veins and blood. It walked funny, kind of bow-legged. Clump, clump. Clump, clump. One step after the other coming towards her, and now it was smiling. Somehow, even though it was still standing at least 20 feet away, she could smell its breath. She thought she heard it say, yummy, yummy, even though the creature seemed to only have a gash for a mouth. She started to beg for her life. Please don't. Please don't hurt me. Please. I have kids. Just let me go. The thing's voice became her. Yummy, yummy. The thing seemed to distend one of its arms, unfolding like a piece of machinery or a beach chair. Suzanne saw that a cleaver was attached to one bloody stump at the end, as though it had been stuck there. Yummy meat. Then she noticed little flecks of skin on a nearby machine. Tan skin had part of a tattoo on it. Human skin. She was in a killer's den. Get away from me! Suzanne screamed, kicking her legs out. A nearby metal stool clattered to the ground and the creature momentarily stopped. She swung her arm around to find something, anything. But all that was nearby was the stool, so she grabbed it, holding the legs out in front of her. Get back! Miraculously, the creature did stumble backward, slinking towards the wall. That's right, she said. Over there. Get over... Then the creature smashed his nubby hand over the wall and Suzanne heard a grinding noise, felt something yank her up by the ankle. She was being hoisted like a piece of meat. She screamed, but could barely hear herself over the sound of the grinding metal. Out of the corner of her eyes, she watched the creature advance again, his arms extended out, so far out. It was useless. She was going to die. The rope around her ankle felt crushing. She soon realized that she wasn't swinging, it was moving her over to the machinery, towards a grinder that looked human-sized. No, she wasn't going to die like this. She swung around, hoping that she could climb up, but only succeeded in crashing herself against the wall. She was dizzy, but her movement had helped. The rope trying to lower her into the grinder couldn't get the angle right now to drag her. Come over here and kill me yourself, fucker, she yelled, though she'd lost sight of the creature. She could still feel it around her, though, lurking nearby. A strange thought floated into her head. May have been lurking around her for a long time. How long had this thing been around her? Had she been sensing it these past few months? Was it what she was trying to remember? Fuck you, she screamed. Something slammed into her back and she felt its hot, wet body inhaled its sour, rancid smell like decades of food gone bad. She slammed into the wall and the thing let go of her. Then she grabbed the rope to climb up so she was standing. She kicked at the thing and it hissed. Come and get me, she yelled. Immediately she felt the creature slash at her and suddenly she was free to move. The creature had cut the rope as it tried to attack her. She ran towards a little corner of light. The creature roared behind her as she crashed over metal tables, trying to put anything between her and it. She squeezed through a hole in the wall, her heart beating so loudly she could barely hear the creature in the machinery. And then she ran and ran and ran, paying no attention to how long she'd been running or how far. She only paused at the top of the hill to look down at the shack and saw a minuscule figure, shrouded in shadow, looking at her again. From that vantage point, it almost looked like a man. Like if she squinted, it could be a person, but she knew it wasn't. By the time she made it back to the car, it was after nightfall. And she looked like she'd crawled out of hell. Tears stained her cheeks. She didn't know where Hubble was. The thought made her sick to her stomach. What if her dog had been thrown into that machine? She pushed thoughts like that out of her mind. She could worry about that later. Right now, she needed to get to her sister's house. When she made it back, she was surprised and elated to see Hubble waiting (gasps) for her out front. Her sister Marie talking to the police. 
Oh, thank God, Marie said as Suzanne came out of the car. We found him by the side of the highway. I knew something had happened to you. Suzanne had no interest in talking to the cops. She didn't want to tell them the truth, not until she could think about it more. And she didn't like feeling like, and she didn't feel like making up some lie about getting lost in the woods. So she pulled her sister in close for a hug. Get rid of the cops, Suzanne whispered. We need to talk in private. She expected Marie to give her a questioning look, but Marie gave her a look of understanding that was somehow worse. She worried that her sister was going to believe her, which wouldn't mean anything good. That night, Marie told her that when they were young, Suzanne only four and Marie seven, they'd all gone hiking as a family out in the sand hills. And Suzanne had disappeared for over three hours. The family all thought the worst. But then suddenly she had reappeared. She would only say that a man had given her a hamburger and shown her his special place. After talking to the police and her dad and some friends spent the following day looking for the special place, no one finding anything, the family chalked it up to a weird kid being weird again. And Suzanne was a kid who told tall tales. She, uh, when she was young, she was the girl who cried wolf. But this time, Marie had believed her. She had known, even at the age of seven, that something was up. And then years later, when a friend of hers vanished in high school, hiking the same trail, she knew she hadn't just got lost. She thought that if she kept her feelings from Suzanne, it would be for the best. She didn't want to scare her little sister unnecessarily. Just let her forget. Laying in bed that night, Suzanne wondered how long the hamburger man had been after her. Now she knew in her gut that he was the reason she'd been feeling like someone was watching her recently. Was he also the reason she felt like she needed to come back home? Was he pulling her back home? Yes. Yes, that was him. How many times had he tried to get her back to his special place? And would he one day try again? She wanted to tell the police to go find his shack, but she knew it wasn't a place you could always see. It existed, but not in the normal way. Normally, it was hidden. Only appearing when the hamburger man grew hungry enough to hunt again. I do not want a hamburger. <laughs> I don't want tattoo skin, ground up human burger. Oh my God. Can you imagine eating a burger? Oh my God. Stop. Oh my God. Stop. 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 Picking stop, up the stop, bun. Stop. 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 And there's a tattoo. Stop. 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 Like stop, stop, stop. <laughs> oh my God, how many times have I say stop? It's a horror show. I got to keep going. Uh, he just ruined hamburgers for everyone and it's summertime <laughs> and everybody be grilling <laughs> uh, before your question I have a few picks uh, no picks out there of the hamburger man but definitely plenty of picks of the hamburglar so see we can palate cleanse a little bit here we got the uh, the hamburglar there what's the purple guy's name uh, wait, don't, don't say it don't say it don't say it don't say it it's, um, hold on <sighs> it's been too many years hold on wait I'm gonna think of it I, I just remember when I was a little kid visiting McDonald's and seeing that I don't even remember how I knew their names Must okay have... I don't remember Grimace. 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 Nice. Now, who's behind the Hamburglar? Some girl. Don't know. She looks like Donald Duck, but not like a Daffy Duck, but not. I mostly just remember, yeah, yeah, it was Grimace and the Hamburglar. I don't even remember what the other ones look like. Well, there's Ronald McDonald. <laughs> well, oh, that's true. I don't even consider him part of the group. That's right. He's the leader. He's the leader. Um, this next one is a picture uh, of a character known as Burger Man. I went into a weird wormhole with this. Uh, this is That's from a, so likable. It's from a ZZ Top song called Burger Man. What? This is from the official music video, like a still. It is a. I love ZZ Top. I didn't you do? remember. Yeah, I didn't remember this. Uh, oh, they have so many good. Super summer sleeper bag. Da -da -da. And then uh, every girl's crazy about a shop dress man. Ba -ba -na. They have so, they have so many good. You take some hints. <laughs> As I wear my t-shirts and stuff all the time. But um, so, yes, I, 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 I did not remember Burger Man. No, I for a second I'm like, is that a character in Hellboy? Like it was just so mm. weird. And then one more that this is uh, from the All Trails app, just a pick oh, of yeah. the landscape of the uh, Sand love, Hill State Park. I love that app. Yes, me too. Yeah, 
You do? You use it? In Hawaii. I, li- I used it that, that oh. uh, vacation. It came okay. in handy. And I was like, that's when I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. <laughs> I understand. Okay. So just a, just a weird little, yeah, like I said, it kind of reminds me of like a like a pull pour, like a slasher flick character. The yummy yummy was especially creepy. You did a good job with that. Okay. I, I was worried that that could come across as just corny. No, it was good. It okay. was good. It was pretty creepy. Um, okay. Two things. Yeah. Sinkholes, biggest fear when I was a kid. I was, huh. I don't know, like, I don't feel like you hear about sinkholes a lot anymore, but when I was a kid, I yeah. swear, and maybe it's just the news was different, but I swear on my life, it felt like every time we watched the news, there was another sinkhole in Florida. There was another sinkhole in Florida. Yeah. Like, it's just, just certain areas. It just scared me so much. I would go to bed at night, sometimes scared that I was just going to sink in. I, I mean, was going to get mean, there, buried alive. It, there, have, there have been, you know, it's rare, but there have been people throughout history who have died in sinkholes. Like like their their house, just like the ground just caves in underneath it and they get trapped in the debris. I just. What, what a weird way to go. Oh my gosh. Just so unsuspecting. Mm-hmm. If there's like a bunch of like limestone, I believe it's, I mean, I'm just pulling this out of my ass. I don't know. But I, but I think it's like, like, you know, like limestone cave systems and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, if the ground basically is very porous underneath you, there can be like these big air pockets. And then if uh, something just crumbles the right way, little bit of erosion uh the the house you know slowly sinks usually houses sink a little bit over time yeah and it just reaches that breaking point and then down you fall i feel i think i feel like this is a good time to advocate for houses on stilts (laughs) you know like california houses when they're like built like up on the i mean i don't know if stilt is the right word but you can conjure up the image the weight would be the same though but here's how i imagine it it's like house on stilts <laughs> Crystal House on stilt. Uh-huh. And then like the sinkhole happens and it like comes down and then you have a second to get out before it gets sucked down again. Mm, so it's like have more room. Voom, voom. I get it. You get it? Voom, you get the voom. reasoning, the voom voom. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That and then also All I want to do is make a voom in a voom in a boom boom. Just shake your rump. rump? <laughs> yeah, sorry. How old are you? A thousand. That, that's not even how that song goes. I don't know. Um I mean you were close. I'm I'm not gonna sing it for you. Because yeah. it's not a melody that anybody sounds good singing. <laughs> Uh, and then also I, the, the horror movie trope of like waking up in a barn with metal hooks hanging down and like, that scares me so much. Mm. It is such a visceral reaction that I have. I'm like, oh no, 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 no. Because you can just like picture like the tray with all the metal tools and he's going to hook you up and hang you by this and hang you by Mm -hmm. that. Torture room. Yeah. Yikes. Sorry, just like I leaned back just a little bit and I saw this little voodoo doll guy mm-hmm. behind me that I don't think anybody can see. I can't wait to get our voodoo doll tattoos. Do, do, do. Will XX on the, the voodoo doll pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, Are more, you going to get a tattoo at summer camp? Yeah, I was going to get a voodoo doll, I thought. And and, a, and a, some kind of bad magic, one of the ones he made. I'll, I'll get one of those too. Who are you going to get? Like on your face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm going to get um, I'm gonna get Lucifine on my forehead. That's so cool. I mean, Will has face tattoos. He rocks it. Yeah, you gotta like, yeah, you gotta put thought into him. Yeah, you gotta put thought into like the symmetry and stuff. I'm getting a random one thrown on. I don't. I, I don't feel, think I you like, do like I, a trinket no, tattoo on the face. I don't. Feel, I feel. I feel like you random maybe your arms and, and yeah. different things you can. But like, I mean, I mean, some people actually do pull off random ones on their face. It all depends yeah. on the person. It all depends on their swagger. Well, I love you, baby, but I don't think I have that swagger. Face tattoos not happening for you. No, it doesn't fit. I no, you too pretty. Nah, but there's pretty people to do it. I was uh, trying to say something nice. <laughs> are you ready to leave a monster from the Sand Hills of Kansas and explore the lore uh, from around and from within an old jail in Cornwall? Yes. Before relaying the lore of Bodmin Moor and the old jail that sits on its edge, time for a quick in-between story sponsor break. 
Thanks for listening to those ads. Please take advantage of any sponsored deals that appeal to you and use our codes and landing pages so you save money and we keep getting sponsored. Woohoo! All right, decent but not crazy amount of historical setup uh, before discussing anything paranormal. Bodmin Moor in Cornwall, uh, England, is a picturesque moorland, moorland, excuse me, uh, or preserved, mostly undeveloped land spanning roughly 80 square miles. Kind of like a nature preserve. Uh, Very few buildings mar the rolling green and granite hillsides. Most of the structures on the moor are ruins or abandoned buildings now preserved and maintained by the National Trust, a UK charity organization dedicated to preserving historic places. Sitting on the edge of the moor is the infamous Bodmin Jail. Bodmin Jail was the first constructed in 1779 by prisoners of the Napoleonic War. It was the first jail in Britain to hold inmates in individual cells, and those cells quickly became inhumanly packed. Inhumanely, probably better way to say it. Overcrowding led to numerous renovations. By 1861, a new structure stood on the lot, 310 feet tall and made of more than 20,000 tons of granite. The towering jail loomed above one of the many rivers that flow through Bodmin Moor. And there have been links to hauntings in these bodies of water for centuries. The jail also supposedly stands on the very spot where two ley lines intersect. Ley lines, pretty sure we've mentioned them a time or two here before. Maybe we've only spoken about them on Time Suck. Uh, They're said to be subterranean conduits of metaphysical energy. For those who believe in their powers, most ley lines are said to be positive. Whenever or wherever two ley lines intersect, a vortex of energy is created, and the energy is more powerful than at other non-intersecting points along the line. And just like the overall lines themselves, the vortexes can be powerfully positive or especially negative. The location of various sacred sites around the world thought to be built upon vortexes. And when they are negative, the negative energy created by them is said to attract lower spirits or entities who feed off that negative energy and use it to manifest and enter our plane of existence. And some think all of this may help uh, explain the numerous hauntings reported at the jail. Bodman Jail was operational until 1927. The last execution took place in 1909. Men, women, even 341 children were housed in an overcrowded communal, er, housed in overcrowded communal cells during its years of operation and a quarter of those incarcerated died of illness. Ugh. 55 total prisoners were executed at Bodmin Jail, eight of them women. Their bodies were buried on the grounds for crimes ranging from highway robbery to murder to even one case to bestiality. Ugh. Over the years, numerous ghost hunting teams, psychics, tourists, and thrill seekers have spent the night at the now abandoned jail, watched over by its dedicated staff. The jail was first converted into a museum, and then just last year, a large portion of the grounds turned into a 70-room high-end hotel. Each room in the hotel consists of three former cells, making up a bedroom, living room, and bathroom. And I will show pics at the end, and it is an amazing renovation. But but haunted. And many guests have reported feeling uh, utter desolation as they look out from these rooms over the gray moor. And that sense of gloom is heightened inside the prison. The following are stories of some of the many spirits said to still be roaming the halls of Bodmin today. Time now for the tale of the ghosts and beasts of Bodmin. 27-year-old Selena Watch was one of the few women ex- executed at the Bodmin Jail. Selena was a single mother of two, uh, two disabled boys, who was desperately down in her luck with no financial or family support to help her raise her children. And then one day, her youngest boy, Harry, was found dead, drowned in a well. Selena immediately confessed to murdering him for such a sad and disgusting reason. Whilst admitting she was indeed guilty of, in, uh, in oh my gosh, infanticide, uh, she claimed she committed the act because she felt pressured to by her lover. He would only marry her if she disposed of her son. So she killed her own child just to be with him. What? He would later in court vehemently deny any such request. A jury found Selena guilty of murder, but recommended that she not be hanged on the grounds that she was generally taking good care of her children. 
and the murder was not premeditated. The judge disagreed and sentenced her to die. Selena was hanged on August 15, 1878. Her last words were, Lord, deliver me from this miserable world. Ever since, leading up to the present, her miserable ghost has been spotted shuffling along the gloomy, imposing corridors where she lived out her final days, begging mothers and pregnant women visiting the old jail for forgiveness for her crime. Her soul has not rested in peace. It has been reported on numerous occasions that female guests have had their hair grabbed or felt unseen hands clasp their own. Selena has also made herself visible to young children, with some asking their confused parents about the crying woman in the long dress. Another strange phenomenon attributed to Selena's ghosts has been pregnant women becoming extremely emotional inside the prison for unknown reasons. It's believed that Selena is keen to project her pain, guilt, and remorse onto them. This typically occurs on the third and fourth floors where visitors most commonly report seeing Selena's ghost. The next frequently spotted ghost of Bodman Jail is thought to be the spirit of a woman killed by Matthew Weeks, executed for murder when he was 22 years old. Matthew, a farmhand, was arrested over a century and a half ago for the murder of his lover, Charlotte Demond, on April 14, 1844, whose body was found on uh, Rao Tor, an old, Neolithic, an old Neolithic monument and one of Bodman Moore's most striking landmarks. Matthew and Charlotte were both servants of a man listed in sources as Mr. Peter at Penhall Farm in Davidstow. Charlotte was, a, Charlotte was 18 and possessed of considerable personal attractions, is the quote. Pretty sure that's an olden days way of saying she was sexy. The court believed that Matthew was jealous of Charlotte's relationship with Thomas Prout, who called on her the morning she was killed and made an appointment to meet her at the chapel. Charlotte and Matthew were seen together that same day. Charlotte told Mrs. Peters that she would not be home at milking time, but Matthew would. They left together, appearing friendly. Matthew returned alone that evening. Charlotte's body found on Wednesday. Her throat had been cut twice. Matthew Weeks didn't try and hide the fact that he killed her in a jealous rage. He made a full confession to the police and was found guilty of murder and hanged at Bodman Jail, August in 1854. Or August of 1844, excuse me. 20,000 people turned out to witness his final moments. Charlotte's ghost may have also been there to witness his execution. Charlotte's ghost, clad in a gown and silk bonnet, has allegedly appeared at the site of her murder over and over throughout the years, most often on the anniversary of her death. These are just two of the many spirits thought to frequent the area. Anne Jeffries was a local woman who was known to be a little eccentric, thought to be a witch due to her claims of friendships with local wildlife and the fey folk, aka fairies, and her ability to make homeopathic medicine thought of back then as witches, potions, and brews. She was in her early 70s when she was imprisoned, exact age never listed, and very healthy for her age, perhaps unnaturally, thought people. It read as suspicious to many. A lot of people in town believed her ability to survive for so long and to look young in her later years was confirmation of her dark powers of being a witch. Supposedly, although she was never formally charged a witchcraft, magistrates confined her in Bodman Jail with no food or water until she died. And now Anne's spirit reportedly lingers in her old cell, she does not seem to be malevolent, despite how she was treated. Visitors often report just feeling her presence in the area. The ghost of an unknown so uh, German soldier also allegedly roams the old prison. His voice has been captured on EVPs, and his spirit has been seen wandering the corridors, witnessed by several guests on different occasions. The ghost of a priest, also said to haunt the old chapel, not too fond of visitors. His shadowy ghost emanating, or emanates a menacing energy, and feeling that numerous guests... Uh, and, uh, and fills numerous guests with feelings of fear and dread. Some have additionally claimed to see the apparition of a thin, frail man sitting in the cell. No one seems to have any educated guess as to who this apparition was in life. There are also reports of George, a warden, who allegedly died of a heart attack inside the prison. 
People hear phantom keys jingling and attribute it to George making his rounds throughout the prison. And finally, it is also possible that some sort of monster roams the uh, area around the prison, around the moor. In 1919, while a work crew was demolishing the jail's old hospital wing, they discovered a skull that they believed to belong to the Beast of Bodmin. There might be multiple beasts because sightings of this creature have continued to this day. It has long been rumored for centuries that the Beast of Bodmin prowls around the grounds of the jail. The first known account comes from 1790, written by French prisoner of war captain uh, Matthew Pringy. He wrote, that, he wrote that during a trip out of the jail, he saw a beast, a creature with the largest pair of piercing eyes and teeth larger than daggers. Since 1978, when documentation of the beast increased significantly, there have been more than 60 sightings of some Black Panther-like beast on Bodmin Moor and many reports of mutilated livestock. There were so many sightings and reports of mutilation that in 1995, the government ordered an official investigation, which concluded that while they found no evidence that the beast exists, they also found no evidence to disprove its existence either. Then, shortly after this report came out, on July 24, 1995, a young boy found what was later determined to be a leopard skull in Bodmin Moor. How did it make its way there? In 1998, video footage was released that seems to show a large black cat prowling about the moor. Some believe that the beast of Bodmin Moor is nothing paranormal, is an escaped zoo animal or escaped exotic pet, and that its owner is never reported it missing because it's illegal to keep big cats as pets. Others believe the Beast of Bodmin is a species of wild cat thought to have went extinct hundreds of years ago, but has somehow survived in the area in secrecy. Others still believe the cat is just one of the many phantoms that roam the moor, some beast conjured up by the dark vortex that the old jail supposedly sits on, the product of that convergence of ley lines. It's a beast from another plane or time or both. Perhaps a big cat, perhaps a literal monster. Sightings of the Beast of Bodmin have continued to this day with no explanation for what it could be. The UK is full of phantom cat sightings, actually. Perhaps a story for another day. Well, we're headed to the UK soon, so keep an eye out for phantom cats. <laughs> I know. I, I didn't realize it's the whole thing. There's so many YouTube videos. And really? There's so many people who are like kind of like Bigfoot in the US. Gotcha. You know, like the, the try to find, you know, Sasquatch. That there's a uh, a whole little kind of like sub-movement of people looking for these phantom cats in the UK. Like okay. just sighting after sighting after sighting. All right. Uh, I got some cool picks. This first one is of uh, Rao Tor, uh, an old Neolithic monument in Bodmin Moor. Cool. Where the cool. body of that's where the body of Charlotte de Mond uh, was found in 1844. Just the ruins of that old, uh, uh, I don't know, castle maybe. Yeah. A structure. Uh, this next one, cool pick of Bodmin Jail, recently converted into a hotel at the edge of Bodmin Moor. So is it that's the beautiful. whole thing or just the lit up thing in the back? Uh, and in the foreground too, like the old prison so complex. So it's all of it. Okay. Yeah. Now I believe just from reading around like uh, part museum, uh, part hotel. Oh. We don't, Mostly hotel, I think. We do love a museum hotel. Yeah. And this place is cool. Uh, this is this I'm, next I'm one. I'm not staying there. Uh, is a pick of the interior of Bodmin Jail before it was renovated and turned into a hotel. Okay. Now look at the renovations. Same portion of the jail turned into a luxury hotel. Oh, that does look cool. Uh, this is the interior of one of the rooms. And I love how they, you know, left some of the original structure, but then made it modern too. Oh, yeah. And then uh, this last picture, just an exterior shot of the remodeled old jail. They did a really good job. Really good. Like, uh, I think tens of millions of dollars poured into it. I mean, I would say so. Yeah. Is it, and this is so random, is it an expensive hotel? It's an expensive, yeah, it's a luxury hotel. Okay, okay. Yep. Oh, you did say that. You did say yeah. that. I'm like, mm, maybe one night, but no. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. I mean, I don't think it's like. It's not like five grand a night. No, 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 no. But just higher end. Okay. 
Well, I don't really know that I have any questions except when you were doing your research yeah. and that witchy lady, Anne. Mm-hmm. There's did, do, do you ha- did you get any of her potions? Because <laughs> I'm all about the anti-aging, you know? And uh, listen... Sounds like she got to figure it out. There's there's more stories about her, kind of like um, like a folk figure, or I, I can't remember. Maybe I should be like really into her. Like maybe she is my patron saint. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, no. There's um, and there's also stories where she doesn't end up dying in the jail. Like I, I didn't look into it far enough, but I have the feeling that she's one of those figures that like maybe was a real person, maybe mythological, maybe real person that they added mythological stuff around. Yeah. But just this um, lady with a lot of the, basically all this all the lore around her revolves around her being a friend of the of the fae folk, of the fae folk, of the fairies and such. And the fairies. Well, listen, if fairies give me powers to be young forever, I mean, not even to be young forever, yeah. just to age well. You know, I'm in. Mm-hmm. I have a real problem. <laughs> and and fairies uh, that that and it's synonymous. It just uh, the fae is like uh, all the all the fairies. It's the fae more folk. than one. Yeah, it's like it's like there's like different little like um, types of fairies and stuff. I remember studying that with like the um, the lore of like mythological creatures uh, from Celtic people who uh-huh. settled in the UK. Yeah, and there's a whole thing in the UK of like the ancient days where like a lot of people believed in the fairy folk. And like we're talking like little fairies mm-hmm. that like flit in the not necessarily Tinkerbell, but like little people. Yeah, but there's like but they're all really, it's like leprechauns, fairies, gnomes. It's yeah, like this, yeah, this yeah. whole magical world of all these different, you know, Smurfs, <laughs> Gargabelle. Oh, yeah. Do, do kids now even know what Smurfs are? No idea. Oh man, Logan, I hope your kids watch Smurfs. Yeah, uh, Oliver knows about it. Yes. Okay. okay. Great. I feel good. I feel vindicated. <laughs> I love. Also, uh, Pixies was on my mind. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, yes. The band, and also otherwise. Pixies is a great band. Frank Black. Yeah, I haven't listened to the Pixies in a long time. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. Uh, where is my mind? Where is... Oh, I can't get the melody right. I know. It's I'm a like, great one. A lot of other bands have covered it. And yeah, yeah, the Pixies are a great band. It's probably a song about you. Where's your mind? Who knows? Who knows? It wanders. It, I, it does. It was one of my favorite things about you. Yeah. It's frustrating as hell, mm. but it's also so fun to kind of like... I, I just like it when I um, can kind of see you, just like you're, you'll be sitting, working, and then you'll stop and your eyes will go. And then you're just kind of like there. And I know that like you're, I, it's not even, and I don't mean this in a cruel way. It's not that I think that you're having like a big profound thought. Yeah. I know that you're in some flight of fancy. Like you are just like mm-hmm. not here. Yep. It's cute. Kyler does the same thing. <laughs> Funny. Yeah. Monroe does it a little bit too, actually. You guys. Oh, geez. Oh, you creatives. <laughs> okay. Well, are you ready for a deal with the devil? Yes. Yeah. This is really, I was like, okay, this is creepy. It's strange. Hey, Dan and Lindsay. Hello. (laughs) Whether you use this for the show or not, well, here we are. I needed to tell you the story of what I experienced about 10 years ago. I have hardly ever told this story to others due to the fact of how outrageous my claim is. However, it doesn't change the fact that it did happen and it still makes me nervous to this day. Just a little background that might explain some questions about this story. Growing up, my family was religious. I was the child of a pastor and sheltered about the ways of the world. At the time of the story, I was 19 and had never had any alcohol or drugs in my life. Bless your heart. I almost wish I had been drunk or high so I could explain what happened. Anyways, here it goes. I was 19 and in a relationship with a guy who wasn't quite as religious as I was at the time. Things had been going well for several months. He was a musician and played the guitar extremely well. 
I loved to sing, so we would hang out often, he would play, and I would sing. One day, he confided in me about why he claimed he could play so well. He told me that he was convinced that he had sold his soul to the devil in exchange for the ability to play well. I swear he was 100% serious and he was really scared. He told me that he had started seeing a dark figure in his room about a year or so before our conversation that would appear in the middle of the night and would just stand there at the foot of his bed watching him. He started having conversations with it. And while I don't know what they talked about, I do know that it was during one of these conversations that he claimed that he made this exchange with the figure in order to be famous someday. Keep in mind that while dating me, my boyfriend at the time be, started to become more religious. Due to this newfound religio- oh, man, religious- religiosity, Thank you. he wanted out of the agreement. He had tried on his own to get out, but this figure would tell him that he couldn't. He was desperate and scared at the time with, that he confided in me. I don't know what he had actually seen, and I can't verify his side of the story, but I can tell you what happened to me. After he told me about all of this, I told him that God was bigger than anything that could, he could be facing, and I prayed with him right then and there. I was naive, and I didn't know what I was doing. I know now that I was not equipped to be offering any kind of advice to him on this matter. I should have told him to talk to someone else. If I had, maybe what happened next wouldn't have. I said goodbye to my boyfriend after we spent some more time together and headed back to my house from his. I lived just down the road, and when I got home, I hoped that he would just shake off whatever he thought was happening to him. To be honest, I did not believe him. I definitely didn't think that he could have actually sold his soul. I turned off the bed I, I turned off the bedside lamp, climbed into bed, and went to sleep, really without thinking too much about what had happened. Kind of a wow, that was weird. I hope he gets better. I hope he gets it together. I woke up in the middle of the night and checked my phone. I had a message from a friend. I checked it and responded and went back to sleep. I woke up a couple hours a couple of hours later and checked it again. Uh, I was a cell phone obsessed teenager at the time. What can I say? When I checked it that time, I had three different text messages from three different friends of mine who all lived in different states. They had all been sent at the exact same minute and have all arrived the first time and should have all arrived the first time I had woken up. They had different messages, but they all said something to the effect of, do you want to join us? I could use you too. I have plans for you. What? I called all three of my friends who sent the messages. None of them knew my boyfriend and none of them knew each other. And you guessed it. They all denied that they had sent me any text messages at all. I demanded that they had and that I needed them to look at their outgoing messages. None of their phones showed that they had sent any text messages to me. I can't explain what happened that night in a logical way. Maybe you guys have some insight. As for me, I am convinced even 10 years later that I, that I was texted by hell itself. I was not doing anything that could have tricked my brain into believing that this happened. No drinking, no drugs, no sleep deprivation. And no, it wasn't a dream either because those messages stayed on my phone for days until I finally deleted them. Needless to say, the guy and I broke up not much longer after this incident. I hope he figured his stuff out. Thanks for reading my story. Feel free to edit and convey what happened. I honestly am just glad to have found an outlet that I could tell my insane story to without feeling insane. Hmm. I've been debating sending this story in since 2018, so it's radical, but here goes nothing. <laughs> Keep up the good work with this podcast and with Time Suck. Love you both. Praise Bojangles. Uh, Anonymous. Okay, Anonymous. Uh, before. 
Okay, so what was the exact um, text again? I, I was trying to remember. Okay. she. Uh, it came she, in from three different she says, friends. When I checked my phone that time, I had three different text messages. Right, also the same thing, right? From three different friends of mine who all lived in different states. Yeah. Okay. They had all been sent at the exact same minute yeah. and should have arrived when she looked at her phone the first time. Right. All the messages were different, but they all oh. but they all said some version oh, of. some version of, okay. Do you want to join us? I can use you too. I have plans for you. Do you want to join us? I can, yeah, that is so disturbing. It's so weird. Because because before, I mean, I mean, you never know in these stories, but I will say, like the guitar thing, I'm just thinking that boyfriend, and I wanted, I didn't want to look like I was just being um, shitty while you're telling your story, but I think it's Robert Johnson. L- Logan may know, but it's the famous like sold his soul. Yeah, Devil at the Crossroads. Devil at the Crossroads. That's yeah. Robert Johnson, right? Yeah. The old blues guitarist. Yep. Okay. Uh, thank you. But like that's where that lore kind of comes from. Oh. And so I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, I don't think there was any, yeah, there was, I think he was like the first. And that's like this classic thing of like, went to the crossroads, sold my soul to, you know, play this guitar. And I'm like, oh, he just is like repeating this, you know, uh, famous story. But then when the, but the messages is the kicker. Right. It's like, that is bizarre. Well, and even she says like, she was, she, uh, I don't know if she's still a religious person, but, or, or he, Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. guess there's no, uh, gender qualifier. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but they say that, you know, I, I I was, you know, religious and believed in God and all of that. And I also thought my boyfriend was full of shit. Like, yeah. it's not like they bought it hook, line, and sinker. They were like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. buddy. Totally. So what, I, I like that because mm-hmm. it's like. There's some skepticism there. Yep. And for them to come home and have those text messages, there's no, like, they were in cahoots together. There's no, her, their boyfriend didn't know these other three friends. So it's not like the boyfriend called, you know, Sarah mm-hmm. and Jeanette and yeah. Kylie and was like, okay, let's play a trick. Yeah. Imagine. Wait, it's so weird. Imagine something happening to you, like two versions. First version, just randomly, no context. But you you just get like same time, they all come in, probably could write it off as a glitch or tech glitch, mm-hmm. but, but the same message, let's say, of like, we, you know, we want you to join us. Uh-huh. And it just comes in from, and then your friends, you connect, you're like, nope, I didn't send that. That's weird. If, if there was no paranormal context around it, mm-hmm. I would just write it off as like, yeah, that's like a weird spam kind of thing or my phone got yeah. hacked or something. Yeah. But then when you add, now let's say like you're messing around with the Ouija board uh-huh. and uh, and some message comes to the Ouija board that you don't talk about of like, you know, like I'm waiting for you. And then, uh, you know, that same night, all these things come still waiting for you. Like when you add it to that, it's like, yeek. That's terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. That was a, that was a good spooky ending. Yeah. It's just so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I have one more story for you today. Just one, because you know I two t- I tell two tales usually. Yeah, it's our thing. <laughs> it's our thing that we we're do. Two, we're two tail te- we're two tale tellers. Oh, two tale tellers. It, we're two two tale tellers. <laughs> two we're That's two squared. Twister. Two squared. <laughs> we're two two tail tellers. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that was good. That was good. Are you ready for one more? You got it in you. <laughs> I do. Okay. Is Layla ready too? Ready. Did to go. you rip her arm off? No, this? no. This one has strong arms. I told you on that last on the bonus bonus episode, I was doing a nice thing. That Layla had gang green. <laughs> in her arm, and I operated to save the rest of her. On the last bonus episode, Dan ripped off a Layla arm and threw it at me. Mm-hmm. And saved that Layla's life. Where is that Layla? I don't know. No, she, oh, she's smushed in the book. <laughs> she is, um, no, she's not. She, that's differently, the smush in the book. I don't, oh, know, I don't, I don't know where that. Layla's in the, take the Layla out of the book, man. Mm, hey, hey, hey. No, no, no. She's, uh, that one has some um, back problems. <laughs> I'm doing spinal readjustment. I'm a chiropractor. 
Because <laughs> that's what chiropractors do to people, from my understanding. They put people in giant books and smush them. I've never been. I love you so much, you weirdo. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the weirdest like visit. Like you go, <laughs> you've never been to a chiropractor. That's almost like a like a hidden camera sketch. And there's just a giant fake book, and they're like, "Yeah, just hop on in." Like what? No, just get in the get in the giant book. And then you lay there, and they just like smush you. And they're like, "How's that feel? How's that? F- Not good. That's working though." Oh boy. Hi, Lindsay and Dan. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I've listened to every episode, dragged my boyfriend into listening, and have been recommending you guys to anyone who loves a good spoop. I uh, want thank you. I want to start off by saying I'm a very logical and skeptical person. What I'm about to share happened while I was getting my bachelor's degree in molecular biology. I mentioned my major because I wanted to be clear that I'm a very scientific person. I believe okay. in chemistry tiny processes that occur inside cells and all that boring science junk (laughs) that usually explains paranormal experiences. Despite this, I have no rational explanation for what happened in my freshman year dorm. To quote Dan, time now for the tale of (laughs) of a college campus with a Ouija board, Native American burial grounds, and ghost soldiers triple threat. When I was 18, I moved into my freshman year dorm at CSU Monterey Bay. I had pretty strict parents, and I couldn't wait for a taste of freedom. I was lucky enough to get randomly placed with two other girls who would end up being my roommates for the rest of my four years, and some of the best friends I could ever have asked for. For the sake of the story, I'll call them Val and Paulina. A little backstory on the campus that is that it was built from a decommissioned army base, Fort Ord, which has a history going back to 1917 and had its peak military activity during the Vietnam War. In, uh, in what I'm guessing was an attempt to save some money, all the dorms on campus are renovated old army barracks. There are still a ton of old abandoned barracks on campus that are legally off limits, but visited by many of the students at night who want to get a good thrill. These buildings are super creepy, falling apart, and have graffiti all over them. If you guys ever find yourself in the Monterey area, you can find a bunch of these abandoned barracks right across the street from the college's gym. If you want to keep a safe distance, Lindsay, I get it. The dorms thankfully looked nothing like the abandoned barracks. Our dorm was on the third floor. My roommates and I shared one big room with a bathroom. When you walked in from the hall, my bed was to the right with the bathroom door to the left. My roommates' beds were straight ahead on either of the walls that faced the parking lot. We each had our own window with loft beds, a desk and drawers underneath, and a wardrobe. As is common in For college freshmen, you begin to notice that everyone has interesting little quirks once you live with them. Paulina would often emerge from the bathroom without putting her pants back on because to her, there was no point in putting them back on if she was just going to change into sweats as soon as as she came out. I fully support that. I was always a late night snacker and my roommates would often hear me crunching noises from my bed in the middle of the night like some sort of rabid raccoon. We all had our own things, but we lived harmoniously and took in each other's habits in stride. One day, however, Paulina and I returned to our dorm after eating dinner at the dining commons, and Val was surprised to see us walk in because she had thought we had been home this whole time. Val said she had heard us talking for nearly two hours. We thought this was super weird, but she didn't seem overly concerned and brushed it off, claiming that it must have been one of the many neighbors we had. Freshman dorm halls get loud and rowdy, so this actually did make sense. She continued to claim that she heard us when we weren't home, but it became less and less creepy because it occurred so often that Paulina and I brushed it off as some weird quirk of hers. 
During this time, I heard a rumor about some of the residents in the hall next to ours messing around with a Ouija board mm. after learning about some of the school's history. It turns out that not only was the campus built from an old army base, but it is rumored that the army base was built on top of Native American burial grounds. Now, I couldn't find anything to prove that the land the dorms are on were specifically used as burial grounds, but the campus does acknowledge on their website that the school resides on the indigenous homeland of the uh, Esalen people. And during a land uh, and during a land acknowledgement with local tribes, one of the tribal authorities stated that ancestors rest below pathways and in other less traveled areas on campus. Mm -hmm. This is clearly not something the campus would want to advertise. So there is definitely some stock in this rumor. After learning this, I thought it was very interesting history for the campus, but didn't believe in anything paranormal. I heard about how haunted the hall next to ours had become after the Ouija board incident, but just as before, it was all rumors. Until it wasn't. One evening, when I was walking home from class, I climbed the three flights of stairs to the entrance that led to my hall, scanned the keycard to get in, opened and closed the door behind me, and then strode into the hall. After taking six or seven steps with no doors near me, alone in the empty, wide hall, something grabbed my backpack and gently but firmly held me in place, preventing me from taking another step forward. What? I paused, turning to see if my backpack was caught on anything, and saw nothing. I took it off, felt around to make sure it was free of anything, and again, nothing. Nothing on it and nothing near it enough for it to have been caught on. Freaked out, I did a light jog to my door, scrambled for my keys, and burst into the room to tell my roommates what had happened. They both believed me, but Val was much more disturbed by the news. She had been hearing us talk more frequently and was getting less and less able to convince herself that it was the neighbors. It didn't take much longer for another unexplainable experience to cause us to bless our room. One night, we all ended up going to bed about the same time, talking to each other from our beds until we got sleepy, something we often did. As we were talking from Val's window, we all heard the distinct sound of a bare human hand slowly sliding down the glass. We were on the third floor, easily Ugh. 30 feet high, with an exterior wall that was too flat to allow anyone to find enough perches to climb. If a bird, bat, or something flying or some flying creature would have hit it, we would have heard a bang and then a slide. And the slide wouldn't have lasted for that long. We were all terrified but val was the most freaked out once we got the courage to move again we opened val's blinds and i swear there was a faint imprint of a human hand on the outside of the glass the next morning paulina called her catholic grandma to ask how to bless our room luckily siblings weekend was the following weekend and paulina's grandma was able to send holy water sage and blessing instructions with paulina's sister after performing the blessing, Val stopped hearing our voices when we weren't home, and nothing paranormal ever happened in that room again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my story. And if you ever visit Mon uh oh, wait, thank you. I hope you enjoyed my story. <laughs> and I hope that you get to visit Monterey again. All the best, Andrea. Thanks, Andrea. Yeah, the 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 phantom, like uh, I don't know entity whatever like that like, like just being grabbed by something like being stopped from moving that's that, interesting that, right mm -hmm, that's a a detail i don't recall really hearing much you know previously and that's and that sound of the of the hand so specific, specific. that's a very yeah it paints a very clear like, picture in your mind or you know it's almost like squeaky mm, yes yes i can i can 
Just like, just, yes. yep, yep. Just that squeaking sound and it's a little inconsistent mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because the way your hand grips it, like, and comes off and like, re-grips. Bup, 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 bup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then seeing like some faint impression of a handprint out there on that third floor window. I know. I mean, obviously, and I, I mean, for a second there, I was like, okay, some kids on campus. Yeah. I heard about the Ouija board, people getting scared. Totally. But you would know if... They, if that window was like, like if you could throw a ladder up and easily access it, or if right. there was a ledge, or if you could reach down from above or something. And uh, they didn't think of that. Obviously, uh, education wise, sounds like a very smart person. Right. Story right. written very well. And, and then, yeah, but just that detail combined with the not being able to move. And then when the, again, the paranormal context around it. Yeah, I think it was something spiritual too. Yeah, and you said that we haven't had a uh, inability to move recently, but actually, we had a story not that long ago in Nigeria. Okay, with, uh, I do remember we had a story um, in Nigeria with a kid who was like trying to like run across the street to avoid walking past where an accident, oh, and they were like stuck. Yes, yes. And then their friend came to like the guardian angel type story. Yeah, well, but their friend came to like mm-hmm, get mm-hmm. them and like pull them back yeah and even the friend was like well like what did you like step on gum or something like they, I don't, yeah, yeah, they were yeah, so yeah. confused because they felt resistance and they couldn't right. figure out why that's true that's true okay so just a qualifier mm-hmm. it doesn't doesn't happen often though. no things get thrown around a lot you know f- sounds that seem to come from nowhere mm-hmm. scratching voices. whispering yeah that, yeah but that like something actually preventing you from moving mm-hmm. That's, and that's in, in a negative like when it's not trying to help you what a violation yeah. oh yeah i was thinking like the only other place that we kind of hear that frequently is sleep paralysis mm, yeah sleep paralysis which is very different, different than when you're you know walking and and demonic possession where there's like body control you know not so yeah. like, like you're walking and something grabs you it's more of um contortions uh, and yeah such, contortions yeah. and stuff yeah yeah, yeah just yeah. A, a uncommon detail yeah it was very interesting it was was I've it been, <laughs> was it wild i know i've been i've been actively really just working just for my own personal vocabulary variety yeah to like in my head when i i feel interesting coming up now and i'm uh-huh. like that was a new detail that, ah. was, that was an uncommon detail that i liked <laughs> <laughs> i think that we should each wear like a rubber band on our wrist like old school and then every time mm, we say we wild snap. Cooler, just snap it Ooh. and then up the ante and then you know we probably wouldn't say it so much. Yeah, probably. You know, trick our minds. <laughs> well, uh, you ready for some Annabelle shout outs? I, I am. I am. Those were uh, good stories. Could I go first? No. Yes. Oh. Go first. Go first. Okay. I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for helping us make a donation to Camp Easton. Charlie Purelli, Sierra Nicole, Chase Duncan, Danielle Aguilera, Ricky Martinez, Michael Burks, Connor Hayes, Deshaun Harper, Penny, Tressie Gilmore, Courtney Fellow Ohioan Brooke, uh, A. Samansky and M. Murray, Chan Chan, Caitlin Kane, that's a good name, Caitlin Kane, mm-hmm. Brianna White, Haley D. Green, Kimber, Brunel Knight, Jennifer Carbajal. How do you how do you say um remember Daylin? Maggie's uh, oldest mm-hmm. son? How do you say that last name? Carbajal? Oh, Carbajal? Oh, Carbajal. Yeah. Uh, Michaela Badzioke. Becky Frazier, J.T. Downda II, Kyla Rose, Anne Stanislawski, Chris Lockman, David Lippard, Anthony McGuire, and Kelly Keegan. Thank you, Annabelles. And I uh, also want to thank the following Annabelles for supporting our show here. Olivia uh, Saubron, Cody Sliger, M.C. Sanchez, Rachel Ramirez, uh, Aslan Wells, Austin Garland, Morgan Baker, Tana Hayes. Misty Richard, 
Mark McCartney, Drew Loy, Kate Dumphy, Tyler Cullimore, David Delval, Delval, or Delvale, uh, Chelsea Radcliffe, Carlos Vine Delgado, Sarah Young, Nicholas Whitaker, Becca Trent, Michaela Woods. I've always really liked the name Michaela. Oh, good to know. Uh, CW, Kelsey Buchholz. Buckles? Buckles? Is that is really? Spell it for me. B-U-C-H-H-B-U-C-H-H-O-L-Z. I bet it's Buckles. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I'll take your word. Uh, Mark Chandler, Amber Northruft, and Olivia Cook. I should have given you Ann Stanislavski because I feel Stanislavski. like Stanislavski. I feel like you would have said Stan Siloski. Stanislavski. 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 No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I have the following spooky shout outs to Jasmine from Katie. Happy belated birthday to chalk from like, like as in chocolate mm-hmm. to chalk from justice. Happy 11th anniversary mm-hmm. to Katie and Kinley from mom, dad and pop pop. Your <laughs> wonderful mom have faith that things will work out. And we're always here for you. This little family, Katie and Kinley, I will not go into details, but they are going through the most horrific thing. So uh, sending you guys love. You got this. I mean, it's, it's an uphill battle, but we're thinking about you. Um, uh, and I'm also thinking about, um, now that you're saying that, I wrote this for Time's Up coming up, but Jeff Burton, the Rizzo show in uh, St. Louis. I know. Oh, father of two and married and prostate cancer that just um, spread throughout his body and he just went into hospice care. And so for- By the time you guys hear this, it is likely that he will have passed. Everybody's hoping for a miracle. He's fighting, but- um, you know, people are worried for good reason. And I know a lot of the people oh, who listen so to the Bad sad. Magic shows are also fans of like the Riz and the Rizzo show and just uh Rizzuto show, excuse me. Um, just so sad. I mean, it's always sad when someone is yeah. sick, but like when so young. Yeah. It's so hard. Yes. Yes. It yes. just, it feels so and, and he's senseless. A, and he was a big part of people's lives for, uh, has been for um, over three decades in St. Louis radio. Yeah. 29 years, I believe at the, uh, at the station that the uh, Riz show is on. Man. Yeah, it is sort of fascinating how attached we get to people's voices Mm -hmm. and routines. I mean, I know that that's like the crux of podcasting, but radio stations are so different because I don't know. I just grew up with like that same thing. Mm -hmm. And it's just, there's certain like radio DJs. I'm like, Oh yeah, I know exactly. My parents, childhood. You're yeah. Yep. My parents will reference like, you know, you know, Mike Malone in the morning. And I'm like, (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about, you know? And it just, because it's Mm -hmm. something that everybody accesses in the same way. And it's almost unavoidable in standard radio, uh, terrestrial radio. Yep. (sighs) Well, sending love to his family. That's really tough. And that is our show. Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks, Logan Keith. His uh, work on social media, uh, Logan, for running badmagicmerch.com and for producing and directing today. Logan, he does it all. He's doing doing a lot right now. We're going to get him help. We have help coming. Help is on the way. But right now, he is – and then he'll he'll be training. That'll be another job. He'll be a a trainer. Uh, Thanks to producer Sophie Evans for finding today's first story. Uh, Producer Sarah Finch for finding the second. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Uh, The book editor, Drew Atana. Thank you for all the work uh, polishing the uh, and preparing the listener stories for book number three. Um, which which is, it's done now. So now we're going to be moving into book four. You're going <laughs> to have right. to update that announcement. Polishing and preparing I for know. book 
four. Yeah, that's crazy. And uh, we addressed this in other, um, you know, the bonus episode and the time suck and, and the secret suck. Uh, but just real quick, you will no longer be hearing us thank Joe Paisley or Liz Hernandez going forward. They are no longer part of the Bad Magic team. Uh, enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye, y'all. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but have no home here within scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. 